of a toast of film i'm one of your hosts ebo and on today's episode you know it may be the 2020s but today's episode feels like it's more of the 80s or 90s i mean we're starting out with spider-man across the spider-verse you know animated spider-man that everyone's loving much like the original animated series then we got transformers rise of the beast you know the Beast Wars was from 96. You had the Transformers movie in the 80s. And then we got The Secret Kingdom. And this is an interesting little movie because it's very reminiscent of films from the 80s. But we'll get into all those. We'll let you know. But before we do, you know, we're toasting. And it is early in the morning. I'm recording this before I have to you know, get some things done, so I got a nice full throttle, you know, get a little pump, get a little boosty boost. Now that got that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into these reviews. So first off, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I was much like most humans, I was just a enormous fan of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It was just so unique, and for me, what really sold it is the heartfeltness between Miles and his parents, specifically Miles and his father. I just thought all the stuff with them, there's this one scene where his dad has like this real heartfelt speech and just loved it. It was just an incredible movie. So Miles and the Morales family are back. We get Gwen Stacy back, you know, Spider-Gwen. This time, though, we get a backstory to her about, you know, why she wants to be a hero or heroine, however you want to say it. Um, but, you know, let's not focus on the past. Let's focus on the new. First off, we got Daniel Kaluuya as Hobie, a.k.a. Spider-Punk. He was exceptional. This character is so good that I just, I loved everything about him. I was very unsure about Spider-Punk, but he really is like one of the strong anchors of this movie. And that's saying something when you have, I mean, if you want to have a good time, just go on IMDb and look at all the voice actors, because it's wild. Uh, we also have Karen Sony as Paviter Pravharker. He's like India Spider-Man, and he has this beautiful hair, and man is just great. Like, when they went to Mumhattan, I think is how they wrote it, but basically, like, India meets Manhattan, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, we also have Jason Schwartzman as the spot, and, I mean, I did not think the spot was going to be the villain of the movie. I thought it was just going to be a side gag. But let me tell y'all, the Spot is dangerous. That's all I'll say. Like, Spot's not somebody you want to mess with. Uh, and of course, we also have Oscar Isaac as Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099. And he is like, 
a main driving force of the story. You know, he has seen what havoc can be wreaked, you know, what universes and worlds can be lost because of the actions of one. So he's kind of like, he's a protagonist, but he acts as antagonist towards Miles. But let me tell y'all, this movie might be even more just colorful, beautiful, and just exceptionally, you know, designed than the first movie. Just everywhere you look, there's so much color. They do so much with all these different worlds. Um, and also, Easter Egg City. I mean, when they go to, you know, the Team Spider-Man place, whatever you want to call it, I mean, holy cow, like that whole 30, 40 minutes or whatever, I mean, you might just want to press pause slow and just try and keep up because, I mean, we got the Peter parked car. It's a car Spider-Man. You got a Spider-Man on a horse who's also a Spider-Man. You have my main man, the Spider-Man T-Rex. We got Lego Spider-Man. And, I mean, just Easter Egg City, there's some stuff I won't say, but some stuff very interesting in regards to Sony and Marvel. But, I mean, everything about this is good. However, I have one big flaw. Them announcing this was a part one, it, for me personally, felt like a part one. Like, there was nothing about this where I did not feel like this was you know, its own unique thing. I just felt like it was a lead-up to part two. Now, still, great movie, but you have something like Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which has my favorite battle of the trilogy, which is the battle at Helm's Deep, but at the same time, like, that movie never feels more than, okay, this is a lead-up to our finale, and that's why people really love Return of the King. But... And then you have something like The Dark Knight that's not focused on leading up to something. It's just focused on being its own film. And I think this had a few issues with being a part one, but still exceptional. Still gotta go see it. I still would give it like a 4.3, you know, somewhere around there because everyone did so good, so colorful, so many Easter eggs. It's just a well-made, fun film like the last time. Alright, let's get into Transformers Rise of the Beast. So this is kind of like a quote-unquote sequel to Bumblebee because they reference, like for literally one second, they reference the Bumblebee movie, which I still say is the best Transformers movie of them all. Bumblebee, Haley Steinfeld, watch it. But this is Transformers Rise of the Beast. Not done by Michael Bay. And... You can tell because it's definitely different. Um, like, this is going to sound stupid for me to say out loud, but did we need a sappy human story? I mean, this is about robots from space. Like, did we need, like, this guy who's having, who's down on his luck and, you know, his little brother's sick and the mom's, like, struggling? I'm like, did we did we need this in a movie about robots? Like, I just want to see the robots, man. And I mean, Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback, they're great. They're you know, he's an amazing actor. She was a very good actress, but I'm just saying, did we need all that when we just want to see robots? 
And because, like, Bumblebee made humans the focus. And that's fine. But in this, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too by making the robots the focus. But, oh, but we want to, you know, take a moment to see these stories. And I'm just like, come on now. Um, Pete Davidson is the lead Autobot, Mirage. I thought that was an interesting choice. And I gotta say, as somebody who typically does not like Pete Davidson, because I just find his humor unfunny, you know, he's just stupid to me, he's annoying to me. A lot of this movie? Sure, you get that. But I will say, they were actually able to get some decently charming pete davidson out so not too bad i mean there's all we get the maximals in this the autobots the terrorbots unicron like there's a lot going on but uh, i gotta say very predictable in parts but fun movie like these movies always have an issue where when they're battling you don't know what's happening and, I mean, there's a lot of scenes where when they're fighting, you can't tell. But I will give uh, the director credit on one thing. Is everything, even, like, some of the terror bots, like, one of them's purple. So when they're fighting, you can at least tell what they are. You know, it's not this Michael Bay fight fest where everybody's a gray robot. And you don't know who's on whose side. Like, Optimus is very blue, very red, you know. You got the silver, you know, um, Optimus Primal. You got the yellow, you know, Cheetah. You got the Rhino guy. Like, everybody, you can at least tell who they are, even though a lot of the battle scenes are filmed, are shot in a style where they're too close. You know, they need to be a little further, and they're also a little fast. I don't know. But Transformers Rise of the Beast, I have enjoyed... Even the Transformers movies I don't like, I at least somewhat enjoy them just because I'm like a big kid, you know? But this is definitely better than like Transformers 2, Transformers 3, most of the sequels. But at the same time, it's still not great. Like I said, Bumblebee's the only good one. But I think you'll have a good time. There was a bunch of kids in the theater. They were having a great time. And I mean, it's a fun movie. But for me, it's nothing more than like a 3.3 like it's nothing you gotta rush to see but i will say it looks pretty cool on the big screen there's a lot of beautiful shots like when they go to peru it's really cool all right so finally this is the secret kingdom now this is was a screener i got thanks to help from alicia diaz you can check her out on twitter at alicia movie gal and it is called The Secret Kingdom. And this is a very... It gives you a feeling of like 80s, 90s type films. Because you got kids. You know, they're in an old decrepit house. And they get sent away to, you know, a magical world. Where they're the kings and queens. You know, like Chronicles of Narnia type deal. Um, so it opens up with an exposition dump to set our world, which is fine. Let you know we got the above world, below world, all that deal. And then the kids get dropped into the underworld. And 
So, the acting, camera work, and CGI are just okay. Like, they're a lot better than a lot of films I've seen. But at the same time, it's not like, you know, it's not like A-plus quality. It's more like B-plus. But it's fine. It works. I mean, you know, this is a family film. You don't have to, like, get the Christopher Nolan 35mm IMAX cameras. Um, the Pangolin Warriors, I really like that because, I mean, I just love pangolins. They're just such cool animals and, you know, they just, they got it rough in the world. People are terrible, but, so it's cool to see like, uh, you know, Kingdom of Pangolin Warriors. That was pretty cool. And this prophecy, it's very like Narnia-like, you know, about these kids, um, the dragon. There's a dragon here. It's a little rough looking. Kind of like uh, take a dragon from Dragonheart 5 and mix it with a goat. And I'm like, mm. you know, I'm not really sure what <laughs> they were aiming for, but the dragon's weird, man. I mean, it's a, it's a weird little thing. I don't know what's up with that. Uh, the one thing I will say, the little boy, not the best, but, I mean, he did fine for what he was tasked. The little girl, I thought, was really putting it, her all into it, and I will say, she was killing me. There's, like, a scene where they first meet the pangolins, and she's, like, doing all these faces, and I just want to know what that day on set was like, because, you know, these are all CGI pangolins, so I'm like, did they just tell her to look and react? Because she's, like, looking at them, but she's not quite. But it was just cute. Like, this movie, it is nothing you gotta rush to see. But if you have kids and you want to kind of feel like a... Mm, I'm trying to think. Like, you know, um, Baby or... Baby the movie, that is. Or, you know, those types of films where you got kids and you got, like, little creatures and stuff. You know, it's definitely not as, you know, adult as something like The Labyrinth. Or, you know, not as scary as Dark Crystal. So, I think it'd be a good introductory family film. And for me, I'd give it a 3 out of 5 cheers. Like I said, it's nothing to write home about, but I thought it was you know, a very cute little film, and I didn't hate it. I enjoyed watching it. So guys, that is it. We got, you know, two movies current in theaters, one that's going to be doing a limited release. I hope you enjoy it, but if you want to let us know what you think, or if you want to let us know, you know, films maybe I haven't seen that I need to see. Well, there are so many ways you can do it, but let me tell you the best ways. The best ways are Instagram and TikTok, a toast of film, all one word, or hit me up on Twitter, at film underscore toast. And from Trey and myself, we just wish you a good night and good viewing.